I, mean, I think from like a political messaging perspective, I think it's really important to have good underlying uh, data analysis of what messages work in this space. I think there's, you know, people use the wrong frames, the wrong language um, too often when they talk about environmental issues. Hello, my name is John Higginson and I'm on a mission to revolutionise communications by focusing on the power of purpose. Each week I'll interview a leading light in the communications world, getting insight into what it means to be in communications, why it's so important and most importantly why it's governed by purpose. This week I'm joined by Sam Hall, Director of the Conservative Environment Network. SEN provides a forum for Conservatives to come together and think about the ways the Conservative movement can better advocate for a greener future. Prior to his role at SEN, Sam worked for Michael Gove in the Department for Environment, Food and Rural Affairs, where he was a key proponent of green conservatism. He began his career at Conservative Think Tank Bright Blue, where he led the research on environment, transport and housing policy. Sam is an expert in the decarbonisation space and has contributed many articles to leading publications including Business Green, Con Home and The Daily Telegraph. I thought we'd begin by talking a little about how you got to where you are today, what drives you and why is the environment such an important issue for you? Yeah, so... um... I suppose first, first sort of key bit of it, I think, was that I um, come from a, a farming background. So my my family, going back four generations, are, are farmers, and so um, I guess I've always had that um, connection with the countryside. And growing up, I've spent lots of my um, childhood holidays in the countryside, in places like the Yorkshire Dales, the Lake District, and the Isle of Arran in Scotland. And so I think, um, yeah, deep down, that was creating that connection um, to to nature and to to rural landscapes. Um, in terms of career, it was kind of my first job out of university, which was working for Graham Stewart, who's a Conservative MP in East Yorkshire that first sort of uh, got me interested in the space of environmental policy and climate policy. Um, there, there is lots going on in terms of the energy transition and um, lots of stuff happening around the Humber, like carbon capture, um, offshore wind, obviously just off the coast. There was lots of onshore wind as well and, and indeed potential fracking sites in Graham's constituencies. It had a really great and interesting mix of uh, different energy sources. And that was sort of what got me first really thinking through some of the the policy challenges around around the uh, the transition to, to net zero to, to decarbonisation um, and then the job for Bright Blue came up and um, yeah it's sort of taken on from there. Lots of people think about environmentalism as a left-wing issue what's your thoughts on that? Yeah I would um, disagree with it as, as you'd expect I mean I think there's a long tradition um, uh, of conservative leaders who've taken action on uh, on environmental issues from um, the Clean Air Act, which was um, passed uh, under a conservative government to Margaret Thatcher's speech to uh, the UN General Assembly in 1989, first ma- major world leader to warn about climate change as an issue. Um, and then, you know, leaders like David Cameron, who uh, did a lot, including creating the blue belts of marine reserves around our overseas territories, a huge actor for marine conservation. And Theresa May, with her net zero targets, you know, up to Boris Johnson, who I think has um, has delivered a lot on the environment in the last um, nearly three years. 
So, you know, I, I think there is a strong history of conservative leadership. And actually, it's not surprising if you think about the linkages between conservative uh, ideology and philosophy and, and environmentalism. Um, there is, going back to Edmund Burke, this idea of a, an intergenerational partnership um, between the dead, the living and the yet to be born. Uh, and I think that is the environment encapsulates that it's something that we uh, are stewards of and have to protect for generations that that come after us i think it's a very conservative instinct to want to protect that and to hand it on in a better condition um and i also think kind of you know finally i think there's a absolutely no contradiction between believing in a strong economy and believing in environmental protection i think the two um you know go go hand in hand in the uk we've seen a decoupling of economic growth and emissions reduction uh, and i think it's through growing our economy bringing forward new technologies innovating allowing entrepreneurs um, to develop the solutions to environmental challenges that we will ultimately do this in a way that brings the public with us and minimizes uh, disruption uh, to the economy to people's lifestyles um, so no i think the, te- the main tenets of conservative environmentalism are, are very well aligned um, for those that don't know, just tell us a bit about what the Conservative Environment Network is. Yeah, so we were um, formally established in 2014, um, and um, yeah, we've, we've we've grown a lot since then. Our, our main focus initially was um, around a, a caucus of MPs in Westminster, which we formalised in, in 2019, um, around a dozen or so MPs. It's now grown to around half of the Conservative backbenchers. Um, and it's the same team, we support that caucus of backbenchers with environmental campaigning. So we'll um, help them with briefings, we'll organise events where they can discuss policy, we'll um, try and make their voices louder in the media and make sure that Conservatives are represented in environmental debates, putting forward um, positive solutions. Um, but we also have um, other areas of, uh, of, of work as well in our network. So we've got a, a local government um, network, a council network, which shares case studies of what different Conservative councils doing on environment uh, from across the country and we've got an international network as well which we launched at COP26 which brings together centre-right legislators from around the world with a shared interest in climate again to reinforce each other's ambition and share sort of best practice and examples of what we're each doing in our countries. And what have been your, some of your biggest successes? Um, I've, I mean I think Sen has been uh, yeah very very involved in a number of policy wins um, that that we've seen in the last few years. So um, the Blue Belt campaign, which I mentioned um, earlier, which was an achievement under David Cameron's government, that in part came from um, a big SEN campaign led by people like Zach Goldsmith, um, Richard Spenion um, and others um, that pushed the government to protect this incredible marine uh, habitat um, in our overseas territories, huge biodiversity hotspot. Um, so that's that was a kind of early win for SEN. Another early win was around the phase out of coal-fired power stations, <clears throat> which the government recently said it would move forward by a year from 2025 to 2024. Um, again, that came off the back of um, a SEN letter and actually a, a think tank report that I wrote when I was at Bright Blue, um, setting out how that could be done whilst also keeping the lights on. Um, in kind of more recent times, SEN has been uh, you know, instrumental in the net zero target itself. That was <clears throat> at the parliamentary level kicked off by a letter that Simon Clark, um, now Chief Secretary to the Treasury, uh, led uh, from the SEN caucus, which got over 190 signatories from across the House. Um, but that was a letter that Simon um, wrote and and pushed for signatories from. So 
send been very instrumental in the net zero target and the equivalent for nature as well the the the, uh, the deadline to halt biodiversity to come by 2030 um, and in the last few years we've been <clears throat> trying to work on the policies to uh, make sure we're on track to those targets so you know in the space of uh, energy efficiency we pushed hard at the spring statement to get a, a VAT cut on energy saving materials solar panels insulation heat pumps which we're pleased to see uh, but yeah a whole range of things I mean, the other big area that I kind of judge sends success by is the size of our network. So are we kind of growing the number of councillors, growing the number of caucus members? You know, there again, you know, we've now got about half the Conservative backbench party in the Sen caucus and lots of people that leave the Sen caucus and go into government, um, you know, take the values that they've, um, uh, you know, developed at Sen, the policy ideas that they've heard about in the Sen caucus with them into government. And, you know, people like Simon Clark, who's now in the Treasury, is a, a great advocate for um, for environmental matters inside government. Great. And um, from the outside, it looks like there's a bit of a battle for ideas within the Conservative Party. Uh, for those listening, we are recording this on the uh, morning after the uh, both the Chancellor and the Health Secretary have uh, resigned. Um, and it looks like there are those in the parties that see environmentalism as a bit of a distraction uh, from concentrating on helping people with the cost of living and, and, and inflation that, that's hitting us. Is that correct? Is, uh, is that a correct analysis? I think it's undoubtedly the case that the opposition to the environmental agenda within the Conservative parties become more vocal um, and and better organized i think they are definitely latching onto the the cost of living uh, crisis uh, and the war uh, the russian invasion of ukraine as um reasons to go slow on the transition um and those arguments you know are being made in in the media and in parliament and elsewhere i think there's there's no doubt about that but i would say that and firstly, the broad swathe of the Conservative um, Party remains committed to net zero, um, and that is evidenced by the, the membership of the Sen Caucus, which we've which we've talked about. Um, you know, and on the you know the policy agenda, I think you know actually it's green solutions that can provide some of the best um, ways of tackling those two crises around energy security and cost of living. You know, it's through insulating more of our homes um, that we can permanently reduce people's energy bills, permanently reduce the amount of gas we need to import to heat people's homes. You know, that's a much better and more reliable way of doing it than, um, you know, having to wait 10 or so years for a new gas exploration uh, size in the North Sea to start yielding gas, um, as well as obviously delivering carbon savings. Similarly, in the renewable energy space, you've got onshore wind, solar, offshore wind, which provide the cheapest new electricity um, that, that we have available to us. Um, you know, it's by building more of these um, in the in the near term, accelerating the pipeline of those projects that we can bring bills down in the nearer term, generate more homegrown energy and make ourselves less reliant on imported fossil fuels. And, you know, which, as we've seen in the last uh, year, are very volatile, those, those international markets and subject to the whims of um, dictators and autocrats. Great. So you've kind of touched on that kind of uh, British en energy se security strategy that we've uh, got there. Um, rewilding plans seem to have taken a bit of a battering lately. There's been a cut in funding. Um, have they gone out of the window or are they still on? No, I, I don't think they've, they've gone out of the window. I mean, in terms of the policies and projects that were lined up for this parliament, um, the budget you know, remains the same. There's been no, no change to things that have already been announced. I think what has become now open is what happens to the allocation of the um, 
you know, the new budget for farming um, beyond this current parliament. Previously, the intention had been that uh, it would go in a sort of three-way split um, between a, a scheme that essentially rewards farmers for um, farming in a more sustainable way. So looking after their soil better, using fewer inputs, um, widening their hedgerows, um, those, those sorts of measures. A third of it will go towards the kind of middle scheme, which is around you know, restoring uh, and protecting priority habitats in, in in local areas. So, you know, it might be making a, you know, a sort of farm woodland or um, restoring uh, a wetland or something like that, creation of habitat on a, on a reasonably small scale. And then it, the third would go to this larger tier, which was landscape scale recovery um, of nature, which would be, you know, more large scale uh, forestation or peatland restoration. And I think it's that third scheme now, which the government said that it doesn't intend to fund as much uh, in the next parliament. But, you know, I think, you know, partly this has been done in response to concerns about food security. Um, and I think that's obviously, you know, become more acute because of the war in Ukraine and um, because of, uh, you know, the shortages in, in grain that we're seeing with Ukraine grain harvest, not being able to um, leave Ukraine and, and, and go around the world. It's pushed up prices significantly. And, you know, people are very, very concerned um, about the implications of that. But what, what I would say is that, firstly, that landscape scale restoration can happen on land, which is not very uh, agriculturally productive. There is lots of the UK land area that is not um, particularly, you know, doesn't produce vast amounts of food. Um, where you know we could uh, you know restore nature uh, on those on those sites without taking a massive hit to our food security. So I think you know I think some somewhere in this debate about food security we've got to yeah absolutely think about how we can produce more more of our own food domestically and we need to look at new technologies like vertical farming, gene editing, maybe even cultured meats um, as potential routes for for producing more of our own food domestically. But we can't sort of sacrifice our nature restoration ambitions as well because ultimately healthy nature um, thriving pollinator populations, good quality soils and um, flood risk management are all essential for um, food production. So what are the of the environmental issues that, uh, uh, and as you know, Higginson's strategy concentrates quite a lot on uh, plastic. What are the environmental issues that you think are most important at the moment? I think kind of near the top of the list has to be um, climate change, obviously. Um, I mean, we are facing um, yeah, more severe impacts of climate change, ever rising global temperatures, um, and yet the kind of scale of the global effort um, needed, um, you know, is still not not where it needs to be. Um, we did take some big steps forward at COP26. Countries did come forward with stronger national climate plans. Um, there were some big landmark agreements around, um, for example, protecting forests um, uh, and phasing out coal power, but um, yeah, it's still not enough to get us on track to the Paris Agreement goals. Um, and so I think, yeah, that, that has to remain, you know, very near the top of, of the list of environmental problems, just because it kind of exacerbates all the others, you know, exacerbates yeah. the um, uh, the biodiversity crisis, um, you know, it makes, makes more inhospitable places for wildlife, it, it, it damages habitats, um, you know, similarly with plastic pollution um, and so on, it's that over-reliance on fossil fuels, um, which is fueling climate change and the, and the plastics problem so it, it's really kind of cross-cutting um so I'd, I'd i'd highlight that one i mean the, the biodiversity crisis i think gets less attention um but remains 
uh, you know, remains remains very significant. And I think there are signs that it is starting to get, you know, equivalent treatment to um, to climbers. Um, you know, there's a, a meeting uh, in Canada later this year, the um, the biodiversity equivalent of um, of the climate cops, um, where hopefully a new 2030 agreement um, will be reached among among all all nations um, and with clear targets for halting the decline in nature by by 2030. But you know, I think. Again, we saw last year um, a, a really interesting report that the UK government commissioned the Das Gupta review into the economics of biodiversity that just underscores how important and how integral um, a healthy nature is to to the global economy and how without it, lots of the services that we currently essentially get for free um, would cease to be available to us. Um, so I think, yeah, that has to, you know, that has that has to continue being pushed up the agenda and can't be overshadows. Um, I think, yeah, I mean, there are issues of pollution as well, which I think provide those really immediate um, environmental threats for people right now in their in their local environments. The, the air pollution in the UK, we've still got uh, cities that breach the legal limits. Um, we've got more evidence now about the in, impact of particulates. Um, which, uh, you know, if you look at some of the guidelines that the World Health Organization has been saying, again, lots of parts of the UK are not um, in line with those. And then plastic pollution as well, which I think is, yeah, just really important for how people see uh, their local environment, the kind of pride in place that they have, um, you know, as well as the damage it does to to, to wildlife as well in, in the oceans and indeed on, on land. Um, and I think, yeah, it speaks to this wider problem of inefficient resource use and, um, you know, the fact that we're extracting resources out of the earth, using them, um, you know, at a, at a vast rate and not not properly looking after them and using, you know, husbanding those resources responsibly, which, you know, I think particularly as a conservative environmentalist is very, yeah, is very concerning. So, yeah, there's lo- lots to do with environmentalism. Lots there, <laughs> but kind of moving towards a kind of more circular economy and, 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 uh, and, and making sure that we tackle what, the, the, the biggest problem that of climate change what are your own chosen media sources where do you get uh, where do you get the news from uh, well i normally start the day reading um politico playbook um as lots of westminster bubble <laughs> people like to do um i i've subscribed to the times and the telegraph um and i think for my job it's important that i yeah um know what conservative commentators are saying um and i think yeah i, th- I think that there's some good journalism in, in both of those papers which um which i uh, think is important to read including on the environment um the uh, I, I, I do use social media so um i get a lot of news from from twitter and kind of rely on you know people that i follow to highlight interesting comment articles or blog posts or or news stories that I might not see. Um, you know, in terms of, sort of specialist uh, environmental media, um, you know, read Business Green quite a bit. Um, uh, get kind of the, the daily digest from Carbon Brief and the Energy and Climate Intelligence Unit. Um, and I think yeah, there's some there's some good newsletters out there synthesising what's um, what's going on. Um, so yeah, quite a lot. I think a, a big a big part of what um, you know we do at Sen is is try and make sure that there are conservative voices in the media and indeed conservative arguments for the environment that you know a lot of the environmental debate i think too often dominated by left-wing voices left-wing arguments and you know one of the key functions of sen is to try and make sure that's a more balanced conversation um that conservatives are are hearing people of their own 
political persuasion um, backing environmental ambition. Great. And, and uh, finally, would you give any tips to um, communications professionals that are trying to get their messages out there on how how best to get a message out? Because clearly without getting a clear message out, you can't achieve goals if you if you can't get the public behind you. Yeah, I mean, I think it's really challenging because it's such a, a crowded market space. Um, you know, you speak to environmental journalists, like everyone um, is sort of pitching um, stories of them constantly. Every kind of company has a, a kind of wants to tell an environmental story. So I think it's it's really difficult to make yourself be heard. Um, I, mean, I think from like a political messaging perspective, I think it's really important to have good underlying uh, data analysis of what messages work in this space. I think there's, you know, people use the wrong frames, the wrong language um, too often when they talk about environmental issues. Um, language that, you know, lots of audience insight work shows us um, doesn't really, isn't really effective. So having a good data-driven um, and uh, understanding of, of the right language, the right frames to use, I think is, is the first bit. Um, you know, I think secondly, yeah, it's having something new to say um, is, is kind of really important. This is something that we constantly have to think about at, at CEN, um, you know, because a big part of what we do is try and find the consensus and and, and show that there's a, a groundswell of support for a particular issue, but often means we try and piggyback on ideas that are already out there. And so it can often be hard to say something new, something that someone else hasn't already said in this space. But I think you need to have a, a fresh angle. It could be a new bit of analysis it could be a bit of polling data it could be um yeah a kind of really interesting voice that hasn't spoken up on this on counterintuitive um but that that novelty factor i think is um yeah is is really important um so yeah i think those those are probably be my my main tips things that, that we think a lot about at sen sam hall director of the conservative environment network Thank you for joining me, John Higginson, on Communicating with Purpose. Thanks so much for having me on.